chapter 17, verses 22 to 23, and Jesus foretells his death and resurrection to his disciples. As they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. And they were greatly distressed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Kim. It's great. Great reading there. Well, kids, I have I have a question for you. And it's and it's a fair question. That's not going to go in the water. And it's the question is, why is it? Why do you think why why is it? Why did Jesus have to die? Right? Why why? I mean, that looks like a very painful death, right? To die on a cross. So, Here's the question I want you to ask yourself or try to answer during when I'm talking just for the next few minutes here is why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Okay, why, why, why did that happen? So I encourage you at the very end, you can come talk to me, but most of all, you can come talk to your parents and you can say, okay, mom, dad, I, this is why I'm, I'm pretty sure Jesus died on the cross for this reason, okay? So last week, if you were with us, um, after Jesus came down from what's called the Mount of Transfiguration. That's a mouthful, right? After he came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, what happened? There was this demon-possessed boy. And after he healed that boy, um, the disciples and Jesus head back to their home base in Galilee. In Galilee. Um, This is actually the last time that they'll be together in Galilee. Uh, you know, sometimes you, you've experienced where, you know, gosh, you think, this might be the last time I'm sitting here with this group of friends, right, in this place, in this season. Well, for, for Jesus and the disciples, this is the last time that they'll be together until he is crucified and risen from the dead. It's actually Galilee where he sends them out, what's called the Great Commission. But this is during Jesus's life and during his ministry, this is their final time that they'll be in this spot in Galilee together. And the Lord is completely aware of this. That's why he takes this opportunity to huddle the guys up, huddle up, huddle up boys, huddle up, and he, he tells them, he gives them a prediction. Okay, and there's, notice there's, there's three things, if, if you look there in your Bible, he predicts three separate events that will occur in Jerusalem. Can you see that listed there? in your Bible? First, he will be delivered. Second, he will be killed. And third, he will be raised. Can you see that there? He'll be killed, right? Or sorry, he'll be delivered, he'll be killed, and then he'll be raised. Uh, This is often referred to as Jesus's passion prediction. If there was Twitter back then, it would say hashtag Jesus' passion prediction, right? This is Jesus' what's called his passion prediction. You might remember he's already, he's already given this once. Remember back in chapter 16 when he told this to his disciples for the first time? Remember he, he foretold his coming death, right? He says, I'm about to be delivered up. And what does Peter do? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh-uh. 
No way, Jose. Right? God forbid it. It's interesting. It's funny he doesn't pull that stunt this time around. Peter's kind of, have you noticed that? You know, maybe he's learned his lesson. Maybe not. Whatever the case, this is the second prediction. It's nearly identical to the first. I want to pull it up here on the screen. There's one added element here, and I want you to see if you can catch it. Uh, I suppose you could say there's two added elements, but see if you can spot what's the difference. This is, back in, this is the first passion prediction. And then if you look down on your Bible sitting in your lap, if you've got one, assuming you have your Bible with you, you can, you can then try to discern, okay, what's different here? So from that time, this is chapter 16, from that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Okay. When you compare today's passion prediction with this one, it's basically a repeat but there's an added element. Notice, the Lord declares that he will be delivered. You see that? See that word? That he will be, that's not in that one. So if you don't have your Bible, you're just gonna have to take my word for it. You just gotta go, oh, I guess the, my, maybe the bloke's lying. Well, um, well, and if you don't have one, we would love to give you one. Hey, if you don't have your Bible, come see myself or Dan or Andrew. We've got stacks of them. Or some of them are falling apart, but that's okay. Um, you know, but we will, we will gladly give you one. You can, you can, that is our gift to you. You can have that. Okay, so notice though, the word there is delivered. That's today's, that's sitting on your lap there. That's the word. Now this word could mean, this word delivered could mean to hand over or to be betrayed. To hand someone over or to betray them. If I say, Man, that guy betrayed me. That paints a slightly different picture than saying, well, I got handed over. Same kind of connotation, but if I say, man, that person betrayed me, that, that gives you a very different image. When you hear the word, or when you read the word delivered in your Bible there, if what's, by, if what's meant by that is this idea of betrayed, betrayed, or betrayal, and, and when you think of someone betraying Jesus, who immediately comes to your mind? That's right. Carrie Ann, well done. Judas Iscariot, right? And that's true. But if the word delivered there means to hand over, then we're not necessarily thinking about the role Judas played, but more of a general picture of Jesus' arrest, trial, and crucifixion, which God brought about. So, are we to read the word delivered as handed over or betrayed? Or, if that doesn't, if, you, if you're like, well, let me ask you a little bit more provocative question. Was it God or was it a mobile phone going off in the sermon? You're forgiven this time. Was it God that handed over Jesus? Or was it Judas that handed over or betrayed Jesus? Was it God? Or was it Judas? Well, it's both, actually. It's both. 
Of course the one who delivered him over was Judas, but it's not just Judas. Behind it all was the sovereign will of the Father. Ultimately, he was betrayed because the Father delivered him over. The Father delivered him over to Judas, and then Judas handed him over to the mob. You know, when Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost, he brings these two truths together beautifully. Look what he says here in Acts 2. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, notice, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Can you see the two, two of those truths coming together there? Jesus' death was no accident or a conspiracy to which he fell victim. Sinful men killed him, but only because he walked into their hands at the will of his father. And this is exactly why Jesus came. He was sent to take the penalty for sinners, to suffer in their place. He was beaten, stripped, and nailed to a cross so that sinners might be forgiven and saved. The Son of Man came into the world on mission to seek and to save the lost. See, the person who believes this message, by the way, just hearing that, Jesus came to seek and save the lost, just by hearing that doesn't make you saved. Do you understand? You can't just hear it and say, well, that makes logical sense. You must latch onto that in faith. And the person who does that, who latches onto this reality, this gospel good news message, is united to Jesus in his death and in his resurrection new life. And water baptism is a visible sign of this reality. That's why we're even bothering having water here up on the stage and doing all these things. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 6. He says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Listen, water baptism is a clear picture of someone's Death, burial, and resurrection with Jesus. It visibly marks out the community of the local church. It visibly marks out who is in the church. It's, an, it's an, a display, and I'm gonna, we're going to come back to that. But I want to just look at this passage in Matthew one last time. And we'll, and we'll talk a little bit more about baptism in a moment here. But notice here, first he talks about this divine deliverance, right? And then the second thing I want us to see, and you know I love my D's. First it's divine deliverance, and the last thing I just want to quickly focus on that's not really caught necessarily in that first passion prediction is the distressed disciples. Divine deliverance, we just looked at that, now the distressed disciples. In verse, let's look at verse, actually, it's a short enough passage. Let's just look at it here again in Matthew 
17, verses 22 through 23. Kim, you had it easy. That was like, you know, what, just a sentence or two. You were like, yes! (laughs) I'll read the Bible anytime it's that short. So, as they were gathering in Galilee, Jesus said to them, now this is Jesus' favorite word. It's, it's, It's drawing from Daniel 7, of this son of man figure, right? He says, the son of man is about to be delivered. There's that word. Hopefully you can underline that now and you can, when you read that in your Bible devotion, you can say, aha, wow, that wasn't in the first one and that can either hand over, that can be betrayed, right? Son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him and he will be raised on the third day. And notice, now we get the emotional reaction from the disciples. I mean, I suppose Peter gave a lot of emotional reaction, but, but now we just, we get sort of like a, a narrative explanation, right? We get a, just sort of a, a bird's eye view of what's really going on here. And notice, this is their emotional response, and they were greatly distressed. The disciples were greatly distressed. That they are so troubled at the prospect of the Messiah suffering, they seem deaf to the promise of his resurrection. Right? I mean, if you listen carefully, it's going, I just said, yes, I'm going to die, but I'm going to be raised. But, you know, to be fair, if, if we heard the fate of the Messiah, again, they had a view that the Messiah wouldn't go and be killed, that he would come and more be a conqueror. And which he is, he conquers death on behalf of sinners. But see, they, ha- they still had things more political and more actual here on the earth sort of stuff. And they were anxious. But you know, we'd be anxious, I think, if we were there. If you had a view, if you were told and you were raised that the Messiah's gonna come and he's gonna kick tail on the Romans and this is what's gonna happen, they're gonna, he's gonna banish out all the wicked and, and then he says, well, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna die in Jerusalem. It's like... Well, that, that's not, that doesn't fit the recipe of the Messiah that I had, right? And we'd be anxious, and the disciples would be anxious, but you know what? We should be even more distressed if this wasn't true. If Jesus was just a political conqueror, we'd still stand before God guilty. If he was not the Messiah on mission, who came and lived a sinless perfect life so that by his death by Jesus dying on the cross he can die in the place of sinners vicariously in their place he stood condemned for those that believe in him that knowing they're guilty before a holy God knowing this truth they can stand before God completely not having any sin because Christ actually they've died with him they've been raised up it's like Jesus hands them a jumper and they put that jumper on this garment this of of his righteousness that's the Messiah who comes on mission that's why Jesus died not only his death but his perfect obedience that's amazing is given over you wear Christ's righteousness. So it's not like the Lord's like, oh, I just look at this person, I go, man, I'm seeing this person as, as, as oh, yeah, I guess there was that one time where they just kind of cried out to me. No, when he looks on you at the day of judgment, if now on this earth you place your faith in Jesus, he looks on you and he sees his son. 
his son's perfect obedience and righteousness. That is incredible. Jesus' active and his passive obedience, it's, it's called. His active, perfect obedience and his passive obedience in death. Where are you now? We get to actually see three people this morning that are, are latching on to that truth, have done that, and we get to hear all different ages and different stories what God has done in their life. This is not actually their story, it's the sovereign God and his grace in their life, you see? And how exciting is that, that we get to celebrate with Caleb and Carrie Ann and Jeff. So, but before we do that, I'm gonna pray and I'll explain a little bit about what's gonna happen and then we'll, uh, we'll get to celebrate as a church together with them. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that though we have sinned against you and our sin offends you, Lord, it's, it's worthy of eternal wrath and judgment. We praise you, Lord, that you sent your son on mission who lived a perfect life, died in the place of sinners, and those that turn from their sin and look to the Messiah Jesus for the hope of forgiveness and eternal life can be washed of their impurity and can stand before you clean, Lord, and can spend eternity with you praising you for your sovereign grace in their life. We pray that as a church now, we'd be able to not just clap or, or, or simply get excited, but this would be a, a lifetime commitment that we make to each other and to the three people that are being baptized, that we come around them as a local church family. We thank you, Lord, for the work that you've done in Caleb's life and Carrie Ann's life and in Jeff's life. Lord, may they be encouraged now and praise you for your grace and their lives. In Christ's name, amen.